0: Genesis 25, because it's tonight that we come to the end of this series. We've been in a series as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through Genesis. We've been in a series since September for the last five or six months, uh, looking at the man Abraham, Abraham and his life of faith. We called it, I called this Adventures with Abraham. And so tonight we really come to the end of that study, we, but we will continue next week with chapter 26. And we're going to finish this wonderful book that we've been in for over a year now. But, boy, we've learned a lot. And we've learned a lot about this man, Abraham. Abraham becomes really the second most important person in the Bible. Apart from Jesus Christ, Abraham, he's mentioned 70 times in the New Testament. He's mentioned a couple hundred times in the Old Testament. But he's a very, very important character to study to know about. He's fascinating. Again, he was 75 years old when God called him out of this, this place called Ur of the Chaldees. It was a just a, a real uh, uh, paganistic society. And God chose this one man sovereignly. He elected, he chose, he this man, he pulls him out of this society and he, he tells him, I want you to trust me and leave, or the Kellys and go to a land, I'll show you, but you've got to walk by faith. And we've watched him walk by faith, haven't we? He stumbled along the way, but he's, he becomes an example for us as believers because just as he fails and falls and gets back up and falls and gets back up in his walk of faith, he's learning, he's growing, and God takes him from this 75-year-old man, and we're going to see him die, and he's 175 years old, uh, 100 years later in our text tonight, he's going to die. But he's been learning in his life of faith. He's known as, as the father of faith, and it's because he believed God and God's promise, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, Just as we believe in Jesus Christ, and it's accounted to us by faith, righteousness. Uh, God's work of salvation is the same Old New Testament. Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of the Jewish people. So after tonight, we're going to study, we're going to follow his line through the book of Genesis and how through this people that God calls out of the world to be entirely different, And God's going to do a lot of things in their lives to make them different and set apart. We're going to follow their life, but it's through this man, Abraham. And it's been a fantastic study. So let's uh, begin. We'll open in a word of prayer. There's a lot of verses here, but we'll get through them quickly. A lot of narrative tonight. Father, we thank you for the word. And we thank you, God, that we can come to uh, a place. This sanctuary that really has been set apart from every other building in, in the city. Like other churches, though, the sanctuary is a place to study your word, and we see it as truth, and we come to it tonight as authoritative. We believe that your word is truth. Not only did did you declare it, Lord Jesus, as, as truth, but you declare it, Father, as truth. And so tonight, teach us from your truth. There's lessons for us here, and I pray for those that are sick and at home. Whether they're watching or not, Lord, we pray for those that are sick in our fellowship, asking God that you would continue to touch their bodies. And those that are getting over sickness, Lord, that you'd bring them to full health. We desire to, to serve you, to love you. And uh, Lord, we, we just ask that you would touch these now that are sick. And, and Father, we come again, we approach your word, and we lift it up high above our heads. We see it as authority today as we study your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, let me just go over some of the things we've learned um, in our study over the last five months. Again, <clears throat> Abraham was called, named Ab- Abram. Name changed later in his life, but Abram was called out of Ur of, Chalides, out of the Chaldees. He <clears throat> began his walk of faith, and God began to bless him. And as we've watched him, he's become a very, very wealthy man. As God's blessed him in his lifetime, he had blessed him so much and his nephew Lot that their herds. Both of their herds got so big that they could not stay in the same valley anymore. The herdsmen of Lot, the herdsmen of Abram argued. They were fighting. And so it was Abram who said, you know, look, we got to split. We got to split up. We're too close. There's too much going on with their family. I love you. You love me. I've taught you a lot about God and and loving him, Lot, I trust you, you, you go, you take whatever land you want, remember? And, and, and Lot looked down at the fields of Sodom and he, he saw the, the river that flowed through and, and he, oh, I want to take, I'm, I, could, I could be rich down there. Didn't matter who was down there. Didn't matter that he was going to live with this real pagan people, but he was into money, he was into riches, and so he chose the better land. Well, while he was in that land, he was um, taken captive by, remember the guy's name? I call him the big cheese, remember his name? Cheddar Lorimir, it's spelled that way in your Bible, cheddar, so I call him the big cheese. Kedalorimir, remember, he was from that area, that other area, he came through and he swept through the land of Canaan and he wiped out every city in the land. He took the people captive. Lot was down there in Sodom. He was taken captive and so his uncle, Abram, went to his rescue, and he basically, he wiped out or didn't kill him, but wiped him out, and got his his nephew and all of his goods and brought him back home. And so it was Lot who was selfish, but Abram had rescued uh, his nephew. And then shortly after that, God makes his covenant. As Abram's walking and learning this this life of faith, God makes a covenant with him, a forever covenant. You remember how dramatic it was? Remember the, the covenant in those days was made? You take animals and cut them in half, the animal. And then you'd walk between the two parties would walk between the animals. Remember that? And God makes a covenant with Abram, but he doesn't make it with man, he makes it with himself. The smoking pot, remember the smoking pot, the animals were cut in half, and the smoking pot, firing, flaming smoke, went between the animals. That was to signify this forever covenant that was made between Abram and God, this wonderful covenant between these animals that were cut in two. And then we watched Abram struggle again. He's walking his life by faith, but he's, he's making mistakes. He lies about Sarah to the king. And he goes down to Egypt. You know, he runs from the Lord in a sense. He leaves Canaan, not trusting God. And he goes down to Canaan. And while he's there, he tells the Pharaoh that Sarah's his sister because he thought he'd get killed. And so he was lying. He wasn't walking by faith. He wasn't trusting the Lord. So we watched him make all these mistakes. But his biggest mistake was listening to his wife. I I guess I shouldn't say that. Remember, it was Sarah's idea. The husbands are laughing. It was Sarah's idea that, she give her handmaid, Hagar, so that Abram could impregnate her because they were tired of waiting for the Lord. They were going to help God out. They, they weren't waiting on God anymore. They were just going to, God, we're going to help you. You told us. You promised these things to me. I saw this wonderful covenant you made. I, I've been walking by faith, but you haven't produced anything. Sarah is still barren, and so we're going to work this out for you. Well, that was a disaster, wasn't it? Because they had Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations, and we'll see his offspring tonight in this text. We're going to see all these guys with funny names. I'll do my best to pronounce them, but we're going to see his, his 12, the 12 tribes of Ishmael, 12 tribes of, of uh, Abraham, 12 tribes of Ishmael. Why? Because God promised Abram, who said, God, please bless Ishmael. Remember that? And God said, listen, you did the wrong thing, but I will bless you because he comes from your seed. God blessed Abram, so he's now gonna bless this man, Ishmael, and he makes him a great nation as well, even though Abram is making all these mistakes. And then finally, we, we got in the last couple of weeks, Abram and Sarah finally had a child, Isaac. That was their firstborn, that was the promised son. Sarah's 90 years old, Abram's 100. So 25 years after God had promised them offspring, they finally receive some. And it was just the very next chapter, after this child is born, we believe he was in his preteens, maybe young, 13, 12, 13 years old. God says, Abraham, I know you love your son, your only son, but I want you to sacrifice him for me. See, this was a test of Abraham's faith the whole point of his life is he's learning to walk by faith how many in here are learning to walk by faith raise your hand you're learning right now aren't you and we learn to walk by faith by reading God's word and isn't this awesome God's given us all these wonderful true stories about all these patriarch all these people in the Bible so that we don't have to make the same blunder mis- I do make mistakes by the way but I, I don't think I make as many because I've got the word of God and so God gives us the record, God gives us the history so that, that we might learn and not go through the same things. But Abraham has has learned and he's gone through all these things. And then God asks him to to give him his very own son and, and you remember the story. God provides a sacrifice. It's a beautiful story. But it was testing Abraham and his faith. And then right after that, Sarah dies. We've gone through these, these, these valleys and hilltops with this man, Abraham, in the last five months. It's been a fantastic journey that we've been on. His wife died, Sarah, and she was buried. And last week, last week we, we looked at God's wonderful provision, his providential work in the life of Isaac to bring this, this not a Canaanite woman, Not a a woman from the local pagan society, but but a woman from the homeland. And it was just a beautiful story about God's provision for a wife for Isaac. So through it all, Abraham, he's been rightly called the father of faith because he's gone through all these things. Now, chapter uh, 25 here is really a postscript. It's really the postscript of his life, Abraham's death, and his grandsons. That's what we're going to see. That's what I've entitled our study tonight. We see his grandsons, Esau and Jacob, and uh, very interesting, Isaac's sons are born in, in this chapter tonight at the end, but they're, we, we, really, we really, from this point on, we're going to turn the spotlight on Jacob, who's going to become Israel, who's going to become this new nation of people that God calls out from all the peoples of the world to do something special from these people, the seed, the seed. Messiah is going to come. That's why he, he's another. He is so important for you to understand. So when you read in the New Testament about Jesus, you can trace his lineage all the way back. It's a fascinating uh, story. But here we have uh, in, in verse 1 through 6, my first point, Abraham's last days. Look what the scripture says. This is Moses writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Abraham again took a wife. Wait a minute. He's getting married again. Did you see that? Her name was Keturah. Now, I don't know if you knew that or not, but, but this, this story is very interesting. And she, his new wife, bore him Zimran, Yokshan, Midan, Midian, Yishbak, Shoach. Verse 3, Yokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, Leuimim. Well, that's a weird one. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Kenach, uh, Abadah, Eldaah, and all of these were the children of Keturah. And Abram, verse 5, gave all that he had to one son. Look who's, who it is. He gives everything. All his, the, the birthright, everything. All his riches, his wealth, gives it to Isaac. But, Abraham still gave gifts to the other sons of the concubines, which he had. So he gave out little gifts. He was a very wealthy man. He gives little gifts to all these other offspring of his. But he gives everything, all his wealth, all that he had to Isaac. And then it says, to these concubine children, to these other children, not Isaac, but all these other ones. Notice what happens. But Abraham, after he gives the gifts the ones that were still living, he sent them away eastward and he sent them away from Isaac, his son. He's setting up his son to succeed because he's realized that God, that's, this was God's plan altogether. This was God's original plan, that he had one son, Isaac, and his family begins to grow like the stars in the sky, like the dust on the earth. His family begins to grow. from. So he's now moving. He's moved all these other offspring of his away. He gave them gifts and sent them away because he's given everything to Isaac, his son, and the rest of them go to the country of the east. So after, death, after the death of Sarah... Abraham is 140 years old. Why does he choose to marry? This is a great question. Again, as I'm studying those scriptures, I'm asking questions. Who, what, where, when, and why. And so the, the question came, and I thought, well, maybe he's lonely. 140 years old, maybe maybe he's lonely. Well, I, I really believe that Abraham, by this time, it's not his loneliness. He remembers this forever covenant that God has made with him. What is it? Land and what? Descendants. He remembers that he's supposed to have this, these offspring like the the sands of the sea, the dust of the earth, the stars of the sky. And so he's being faithful to God. So he marries another wife, buries Sarah, marries another wife, and he's gonna keep having kids. I believe it wasn't loneliness, but I believe he's just trusting the Lord for this massive family. Because that's the promise that God gave him. Again, God told him that he would have that. And here's a a real quick proof text here in Genesis 15. Then he brought him outside. God brings Abraham outside. Because remember, Abraham was like, God, you haven't provided me anything. God, don't you remember me? So God brought him outside and said, look at the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham remembers that promise that God made to him. He's walking by faith. He's trusting the Lord, even to the point where he sacrificed his own son. So I believe he's doing this out of obedience at this point. He, he gets married again. So he's living by faith. He learned from all the mistakes he made in his life. Now, doesn't that give you a little hope right now? If you're bumbling and stumbling in your Christian walk right now, there's hope. There's hope, just like Abraham. You'll, you'll Eventually, <laughs> you're going to get there. After you go through trials and tribulations and you make mistakes, there's hope for me. There's hope for you tonight uh, that you'll finally get to this place where you can really, you're just really living by faith and you're trusting the Lord. So it's his faith. It's his faith that the writer of the Hebrews, I have, I've got a couple of real long texts. You can turn to Hebrews 11 if you want. I'll put it up here. It's long. But notice what the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance And so he obeyed. He went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith. He dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the scriptures tell us, New Testament tells us that Abraham was a man that lived by faith. And I believe, again, God has approved his life. God is with him. God is encouraging him. God is leaving him providentially. And verse 5 here in Genesis 25 tells us that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. So he's he's getting settled, he's settling things before he dies here. He's getting things together. He, he, get, gives, he gets married. He's having kids. And then he gives all his uh, wealth to Isaac. And all his wealth including, that would be the land, the promised land. Now, he only owns one bit of land right now. Remember what it is? It's, it's the, the burial site for Sarah, and it'll be his burial site as well. And we'll see that as we go through the text tonight. But the promise was land and offspring, and all of that goes from Abraham, who's going to die. It's transferred directly to his son, Isaac. Now, we have Keteris' sons here. Uh, His second wife, uh, Abraham's second wife, they're all listed there from verse 2 to 4. And they become, the the funny names there, the ones that I can't hardly pronounce, they become all these Arab tribes, the Arab people come from uh, her sons and then Ishmael sons, the 12 tribes of Ishmael as well. They all go to Arabia. They go to the east, uh, southern Palestine, they, they move away from the land of Canaan. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. They get gifts from Abraham, and they're sent away. And none of the six sons of Ketra share any inheritance like Isaac does. They just get gifts. And here's something to remember. God had told Abraham about Ishmael's descendants, and I, I already mentioned it earlier earlier. Um, he told them what they're going to be like. Uh, Abraham says, uh, you know, don't, don't send him away. And God says, he's, gonna, he's gone. He's going. Well, bless him. Won't you bless him? Well, I'll bless him. I'll take care of him. But then he gave Abraham some insight into these people, the Arab people. This is what God said. Don't, don't complain to me. Genesis 16, look what he says. This is about Ishmael and his offspring. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's will be against him. And here's the important statement. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. So he's going to be fighting with his brethren. Ishmael and the Arabs are going to be fighting with the Jews. Does that sound familiar today? Interesting, isn't it? God tells Abraham, no, I won't wipe him out. You're going to send him away. I'll bless him. But he's going to be a wild man. And he's going to cause all kinds of trouble. Open hostility. Even against his own relatives. Here in verse 7, my next point here, Abraham's death and burial. Notice verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived. 175 years. 100 years after God had taken him from Ur of the Chal- or told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and placed him in the land of Canaan. And he started his walk of faith. 100 years. Amazing. Then Abraham breathed his last and died. In a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Very interesting the way he dies. Very peaceful, isn't it? I, I love the depiction here, the eulogy, as you, if you will, of his death. It's just a very gentle thing. He breathed his last breath, and he he died. And the sons, and his sons, Isaac, verse nine, and Ishmael buried him in a cave of of milk pot. That's that's where Abraham had bought that property to bury Sarah. Now, these two sons that are the wild man, Ishmael, right? Funerals have a way of bringing people together, don't they? And we're seeing that here in his family. It says, which was before memory in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite. That was the land that Abraham purchased. In verse 10, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried and his wife Sarah. So Abraham dies. He's 175 years old. And again, he's one of the most important people in your Bible. That's why it's important to take time to study, to understand who he was. Like I said, he's mentioned 70 times in the New Testament alone. And this eulogy here in verse 8, I, I just love it. He breathed his last and he died. Just the the picture of death is not that I, I've seen a lot of people die. I've been in hospitals. I've been at homes. Um, you may have been in a home of a loved one that died. Sometimes it's peaceful. Sometimes it's not so peaceful. Um, medicine is, is wonderful. You know, we, people that are, are in, in real dire straits, they give them medicine, and that's a good thing. It's a very very compassionate thing to give people medicine. But he dies here, and I want to just just say a couple things about that. Why did he die so calmly? What is the, what is the motivation here? What, what is the Holy Spirit teaching you and I about death? In a society that we see death as, as, as just a you know, struggle and it's so negative and it's so, you know, the world, they hate death and they want to extend their life and they, they, they do exercise and they eat healthy foods and, and, you know, the older you get, the more you can't defeat some of that stuff, you know, just happens to your body. I was telling uh, Pastor Chris, uh, he's, what is he, 40, 45, I think he is, and uh, John and I, am, I'm 59, and, and Pastor John's 57, I think, and we're in, we go to the doctor a lot more than we did when we were 40, see, when you're 40, you know, don't, you don't, when, between your 20s and 40s, when you have your own insurance, you hardly go, but when you get to be 50, amen, right, 50, 50 over, can you, can I hear an, I see people, yeah, okay, all right, you know that, and then we start thinking about death. We start worrying about it. We're worried about death and how we're going to die. I always tell people, you know, I just want to get hit by a bus, you know, and it's gone. I'm walking down the street, I get hit by a bus, and I'm in heaven. You know, it's that, that's a great way to go. You know, we, we, we see people suffer, and we don't want to suffer like that. But here's something very, very interesting about Abraham's death. And I believe that we're to see these things. I believe the Holy Spirit shows us these things as we read the Scriptures But my theory about his being so at peace when he died was because he was walking by faith. And he didn't care about his stuff. He gave it to Isaac. He gave it to his kids. It wasn't about stuff he owned. He had his eyes and his heart and his mind somewhere else, in another country, in a place where he had an eternal address. Because the world didn't mean anything to him. So death to him was like... And then he became more alive in that next moment than he'd ever been in his life. That's the way death is for you and I as a Christian. This earth, this planet is not your home. You, as a believer, do not have this as your permanent address. It's not. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. That's, that's a place for an amen. Because the Christian has the hope of what? Eternal life, right? We're given eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you, you're not going to perish, but you've, being given the promise of eternal life. Abraham had that promise. And so he lays down, takes care of all the business, lays down and (sighs) he went to sleep. The Bible says, uh, Paul says that our body is a temporary dwelling place. It's a tent. It wasn't designed to last forever. That's why you get sick. Your body wasn't made to last forever. You're going to succumb one day to something. And it's better as a Christian to understand that, to know that, hey, this life is only going to last so long and then I'm going to take my last breath and then guess where I'm going to wake up? Guess guess who I'm going to see after I die? Jesus Christ, I'm going to be in heaven. That's glorious. That's hope. That's peace. And this man has that peace. Let me show you a scripture here to help kind of bolster my my theory, my thoughts here in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith. If you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, you hear all the people of faith, Abraham is listed in there. They they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off because the Messiah was promised to come from the seed of Abraham, the promise. He's coming, he's coming. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And it says here in Hebrews, they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They knew that they weren't here for a lifetime. That only, a, or I should say only a lifetime. That they would not be eternally on the planet. That they had an address that wasn't here. That's why Abraham was so calm. I, I, I believe that. And I, I hope that gives you hope today. When, when someone in your family is dying, when they get the cancer diagnosis, when they get uh, 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 any kind of diagnosis that, that they know that they have a limited time on the planet, this is when you have to say, listen, sister, brother, mother, dad, friend, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ now. You need to believe in Jesus now because I have this great hope. Let me share my hope with you. I'm not worried about death. Paul says that, that he had victory in death, that there's, Uh, that there was no sting in death, remember? Because he knew he was gonna go to heaven. I believe, I have that in view as I read this text and I I believe that Abraham had that in view too. He lived a life of faith. So he just took his last breath. It's it's a beautiful depiction of, of death here. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. So the blessing moves from Abraham to Isaac there in verse 11. And Isaac dwelt in this land, Bir Lahairoi. So Abraham, he's gone. But all the promises, the forever covenant now is gonna continue through his son Isaac, through this blessing of Isaac here. All that proves, and, and what that really uh, helps us to understand is that God is not done. He, his covenant is not over. That God will continue, even though the saint passes away. My job as a parent is to raise godly children so that they serve God's people. That's been my goal. That's been Esther and my goal. And thank God that that's happened in our lives. And I I thank the Lord for that. So that when I'm gone, the legacy of loving Jesus Christ and serving him continues. That's the goal of parenting. It's not to get your kids to go to college to make a bunch of money. That is not the goal. If that's your goal right now, you're doing the wrong thing. Your goal as a parent is to introduce Jesus Christ to them, is to teach the word of God to them, so that after you're gone, they have the hope of seeing you again. And in heaven, there's going to be a family reunion. It's, it's family with the body of Christ family, but I'm going to see all of my family because they're, they're born again, my children. They, they love Jesus Christ. So I, I have the hope of seeing them in heaven. And leaving a a legacy. And I've got grandkids now. I can teach them. I can pray for them. I can encourage them. Not to make money in this world, but to love Jesus Christ with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. That's the job of a parent. And when you live that kind of life, and you pass that along, you can die in peace just like Abraham. Just take that last breath, and you close your eyes here, and you open your eyes, and you're in glory. Bliss. I love that. It's, 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 it psychs me up for death. I'm, I'm psyched about death tonight. <laughs> verse 12, Ishmael's death and his descendants. Now, the story kind of moves quickly here, but look at verse 12. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. So we're reminded of that story again. And these were the names. Here are the names here. I could, could pass them up, but let me do my best here. The Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The first Born of Ishmael is Nebaoth, Then there's Kedar, Abiel, Mibsam, and Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tema, Yeder, Naphish, Kedimah. There they are, the 12 uh, tribes of, of Ishmael, the sons of Ishmael, and there were the names by their towns, their settlements, the 12 princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael. So we get a little bit of Ishmael's life. Remember, God blessed him. Why? Because he was Abraham's offspring. And and Abraham asked God to bless him. So God's being faithful here. I love this. Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. That means they buried him together with his family. They dwelt there, verse 18, from Helva to Shur with Uh, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria, he died in the presence of all his family, his brethren. Now, the question is, why did they include that list? Why is Ishmael's uh, family uh, um, listed there? And I've already alluded to that. It was mainly to demonstrate God's faithfulness to Ishmael and his family as well. This is Abraham's dearly loved firstborn son. Remember how much he loved his son, and he didn't want God to send him away? And he was brokenhearted, and he wept. Remember, he wept bitterly when his son left. He he loved his son, Ishmael. So I I believe God puts this here in the text so that we have understanding that even though God sent him away, that God still blessed him. God refused to let him stay with Abraham. He sent him away. Why? Because Ishmael represented uh, Sarah and Abraham helping God. Instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord, and and it's been 25 years now, when are you going to provide? How many of you tonight have been praying for five minutes or five hours for something, and it hasn't happened, and you're like, come on, Lord? 25 years. And then, instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of trusting the Lord, what do they do? We're going to help you out, God. We're going to do it in the flesh. God never will accept anything you do in the flesh. Do you understand that from this story? Ishmael is rejected because Ishmael represents self-effort instead of trusting in the Lord. Christians, you can advance your walk with the Lord, your walk of faith, if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your path, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You need to trust the Lord. And when you do, God will bless. When you don't, God's, there's, there's consequence Ishmael represents the self-effort here. I have a verse here, Genesis 17. <clears throat> and as for Ishmael, back in chapter 17, I have heard you, God says, behold, I have blessed him, and I'll make him f- fruitful, and he'll multiply him exceedingly, and he will beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. So now we, have, we come to chapter 25, and we're told about the end of his life, and we're shown that God did bless him. That he did have 12 sons and they, 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 there was a nation there. So this is just proof of that here. Now the birth of Jacob, my next point, verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. So he moved from Ishmael, the self-effort, to the real McCoy here, Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pad-aram the sister of Laban. Remember that name, Laban. He's going to come up several times here, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Hmm, just like grandpa. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So I, or his dad, Isaac is just like his dad here. He wants to have a son. He knows the promise. Abraham's been telling Isaac, listen, God promised we're gonna, our family's going to be huge. We're going to have kids coming, you know, out the doors, just like the stars in the sky. And so they get married, him and Rebecca. And a year goes by, and five years go by, and 20 years go by. Can you imagine what's going on in the mind of Isaac? And maybe he said, you know, we, my, my dad had to, had to wait. Rebecca, just, it's okay, stop crying. I know you want a child really bad. It's okay, God's going to provide. Let's wait, let's wait. Let's trust in the Lord. Maybe it was Rebecca telling Isaac, Isaac, I I heard your dad tell you this. You you remind me of the promise, this covenant that was between you and your dad and has been passed on to you. The birth here of of his his son, we're going to see that. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord. Look what he does. I love this. For his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. So, what a beautiful thing! He prays, he prays. He's the son of promise, but he's got to wait for God to um, bring about this child in their family. He he can't. He knows he's not not to do the Hagar thing. That was a mistake. I'm not going to do that. But he's still waiting, and they're probably broken hearted. But they finally go and they pray. They're waiting on the Lord and they pray. I love this thought here that they're going to before the Lord and praying. Now, it's interesting that he takes his wife when he's 40 years old and then they have to wait. So he's how old now? 40, 50, 65. So he's an older man and he's going to have a child but no doubt here it says they're pleading with the Lord. They're they're praying, but they're waiting. Now, let me just stop here and make one little bit of application. Because there's a lot of teachers, a lot of false teachers out there that'll teach you if if you're faithful, if you believe it'll happen. If you give, if you give, and the pastor's standing there with his, you know. If you just give to my ministry, if you give and you're faithful, if you put that seed faith of money in there, God's going to bless you tenfold. If you only had faith, if you had faith, you'll, you'll not be sick. If you had faith, you'll have, you'll, you'll have all the finances. You, you've, heard that. you've you heard that. You might even know some people. That, that is a perversion of what the Bible teaches. Here's a great example of that. They had to wait 25 years, and they were faithful. Abraham was faithful. He made mistakes, but God made him wait. Christian, you need to learn this. This is important. Well, we don't go to that kind of church, Pastor Lee. Well, there's a lot of them around that believe in this, It's health and wealth stuff. It's false teaching. It's not true. Here's a great example of that. You have to wait on the Lord, and you have to pray and ask him. You don't go through a father. You don't go through a priest. You don't go through a pastor. You go right to the Lord, and you ask him, and you trust him, and you walk by faith. That's what the scriptures teach. Very important for you to, to understand that. God will bless you. God will make you well if it is his will. And I've had some people in this church that really struggled with that teaching. They came here, and they had that teaching in them, and they really struggled in their life because they had given everything to one of the local churches, so much so that they lost their house and were living in their car. But she blamed him because he didn't have faith, and he blamed her because she didn't have faith, and they were giving all their money to the church, and they got a divorce, and it they, they ruined everything. Ruined their kids, ruined their family. I saw it. I watched it. People that teach this, it, you need to understand this false teaching. You need to trust the Lord. You need to walk by faith. And, and it's not going to happen overnight. You just need to wait on the Lord. And as you wait on the Lord, and as you trust him, and as you ask others to pray for you, then the Lord will provide in his time for you, for your family, for your sickness, whatever it is. He'll, he'll heal you. He'll do what he will. He's sovereign. It's important that we understand that. They were praying. He comes to the end of himself here, verse 21, and he pleaded with the Lord for his wife. I love that. She was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. Oh, that we would learn, Christian, that we would learn that prayer is the first thing that we should do, not the last. When all else fails, I'll pray I think a lot of us are like that. Are, are you like that? Don't, don't raise your hand or anything. I won't watch. It's really important that we go to the Lord first. That should be our first move, even before we tell someone. Well, let's go to the Lord, and let's pray and ask. God will answer our prayer in his time. Rebecca here, she doesn't know what's, what's happening in her, and we get to her dilemma. I, I love this story here in verse 22. But the children—this is Re- Rebecca's dilemma. The, the children, the, God answers a prayer, and He answers the prayer in, a, in twins. The children struggle together within her, but she doesn't know she's pregnant with twins, and she thinks she's sick. If all is well, why am I like this? She's probably getting really big. She's got two babies in her, and and they're active little boys in there. So she's worried about all this movement and not knowing. So she goes back to the Lord and she prays. Now listen to what God says. This is God prophetically answering her prayer. I love this. And the Lord said, verse 23, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. There's a little depiction of these two boys And then here's this interesting prophecy. The older shall serve the younger. So when her days, verse 24, were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. So what God says here is very simple, that that you're going to have twins. There's two nations. There's two in your womb there. And then God reveals the future of these children, their personality, the difference. They're going to be really different, uh, one stronger, than the other one's going to be, you know, tough and outdoors, and one's going to be kind of slow and inside, and, and likes to cook. There are two different personalities here, and one's going to be greater than the other. One's going to be, or the younger is going to be greater than the older one. That's that's an interesting prophecy. Here's what we're learning as we see God working. God is working sovereignly here. God is not going to take the firstborn Esau. He's going to choose sovereignly. This is God electing. This is what God is doing here. He's choosing in a sovereign way the second one. In all traditions of man, it would be the firstborn. But God is choosing the secondborn, Jacob, here. We get some reasoning in here, but I I think some of the reasoning and some of the, the human reasoning here doesn't, match up with the scriptures in, in a larger scheme. But the Lord talks to her. The Lord prophesies. Two nations, two peoples. One's going to serve the The younger one is going to be over the older one. Very interesting in his prophecy. But I see God choosing here. It's called divine election. He's, God is doing, he's asserting his sovereignty, and he's choosing here the older to serve uh, or the, the younger is, is now going to be over the older. The older is going to be serving the younger for this blessing that God's going to pour out. Remember, we're seeing God's blessing go from one to the other. Abraham to Isaac now. Isaac to one of these twins that are being born here. And this is really an important principle. We talked about this last night in our doctrines class, this principle to let the Scripture speak if you don't like the, the topic of divine election, I just say uh, it doesn't matter what you like or what you don't like. It's in the Scripture. And so we teach what the Bible says here. If you've got a problem with that, and you, you're, you lean towards human responsibility and, and, and believing and, and faith, that's, that's good. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that God sovereignly moves and elects. The Bible teaches that you believe and therefore you're saved. That's what the Bible teaches. And I was teach- teaching the class last night. It's so important for us to understand that as God chooses, we, we need to let God be God and not argue and not put our own two cents in this story because it's in the book of Romans that some of this is explained. Here's another. This is a lengthy text. If you want to, open your Bible to Romans 9 and see it, but I'm gonna just show you here. In Romans 9, verse 10 through 14, listen to what Paul writes. He says, and not only this, but when Rebekah, same Rebekah we're reading about here in Genesis 25, when she conceived one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. What shall we say then? What's our argument as people against this? Is there unrighteousness with God? And then he says, certainly not. Again, God is sovereign, and God is choosing the younger of these twins. Now, if you're a twin, we have twins in our church. I have twin sisters, although they didn't look alike. They look radically different, but they're still twins. They think alike, though. That was amazing. When I was growing up, they just thought alike. They, I got in trouble with my, my twin sisters because they thought alike. But, but you might have twins in your family, very interesting twins, they, the way they think and what they do. But these two boys are really, really different. And what we're learning here is that there's election, sovereign election here. And I, I don't want to lose that thought because I think it's really important. And I want to teach that as we see it here. Divine election, human responsibility is what we see all throughout the scriptures. And as a person, I can't figure that out in my human intellect. I can't. I can't rationalize it. I can't reconcile it. Although I try at times. The truth is, when the scriptures speak, we need to see it as authority. And when it comes to election and God's sovereignty, we just need to say, he is. And when it comes to belief and human responsibility, we see, yes, And we don't try to work it out in our human minds. We allow God to be God and do what what he's going to do, this this whole issue of election and responsibility. When two doctrines taught in the Bible appear to be contradictory, we're to accept both as scriptural, believing that they're all going to work out in the end because God is sovereign. So when we come to these topics, don't be afraid of them. How could you get through Ephesians chapter 1 if you didn't understand? Or how how do you not understand human responsibility to them, to them that received him, to they, they were given the right to be called the children of God, those that believe in his name, or, or whosoever will believe in, you, all the beliefs in the Bible. You, we need to understand they're taught, and this is taught, and we just say, to both, yes. That's what the scriptures teach. But here we have a clear indication, not only from Genesis 25, but Romans 9, that scripture I showed you earlier, that God is working in divine election. He's, he's choosing here. And here's, here's the thought I had after I, I, I studied that. I had the thought of... God has just told Rebecca, right, in the text. He tells Rebecca that you're going to have two. You're going to have twins. That's why all this is going on in your womb right now. And then he tells her the, old, the older one's going to serve the younger. In other words, don't look to the old, older one, the firstborn, to be the one that my covenant goes to. I'm going to give my covenant to the secondborn. So she knows this. I wonder if she went and told Isaac. I kind of believe she did. I wonder if they shared that news as the boys were growing up, and that we don't know. But we do see, and we will see as we go through Genesis, we're going to see some conniving. Rebecca's going to kind of, remember she dresses up her son, gets, puts dirt on him so he stinks and smells, and Isaac in his old age is going to go, bring me my son so I can bless him. I can't see him, but I, I want to bless him. Bring him close, I want to kiss him. He wanted to smell, he wanted to, because his his. His son Esau, his favorite son Esau, was, was a man of, of the field. He was a man's man. You know, he was, he, was a, he was a hunter. And so he would have sm- smelled like that. But, but uh, uh, Jacob was kind of domesticated. It wasn't effeminate. The Bible doesn't say that. He was just, he liked to hang out with mom. And mom was kind of treating him special because she heard something from the Lord. I, I really believe that plays into that whole story. But here we have Esau and Jacob's birth. So that'll develop as we go through the story. That's your little teaser for coming back and hearing the rest of the story. Look at verse 25 here, Esau and Jacob's birth. And the first came out red. That's Esau. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called him Esau, which means hairy. Hey, hairy. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. He's grabbing. He's... He's reaching out to the heel of Esau. So he gets a name, Jacob, which means heel holder, heel catcher. Very interesting. So the boys grew. Oh, wait a minute. So his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, verse 27, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob, he was a mild man, dwelling in tents, cooking dinner with mom. Now, Again, these ancient people always named their kids based on what was going on. If there's a windstorm, they'd call their their little girl Windy. That would be her name. Or if there was rainy, there should be rain. And in this case, uh, Esau comes out. He's hairy. He's red. He's hairy. So they call him Harry. Very interesting the way the names uh, come out. And then Jacob, the heel catcher, a trickster, con man. And he is. We're going to see Jacob. We're going to watch this guy. He's got a lot to learn. God's going to shape and mold him. But he is a trickster. He is a con man. But the difference in these two. So these guys grow grow up together. The rugged outdoorsman, you know, bass pro shop buying, gun-toting, you know, hunter. And then you have, you know, in the house... Domesticated, cooking soup for his brother and helping his mom around the house, you know, Jacob there. That's, that's the difference. Kind of an interesting family dynamic. Now, the, the word there that says he was a wild or a mild man, verse 27, see it says Jacob was a mild man. That word there actually has the idea, if you look on that word, if you, Blue Letter Bible, or if you have a a, a Hebrew lexicon, you can check some of these words out. But that word means wholeness, not weak. It doesn't mean effeminate at all. It just means he was spiritually adept. He's, He's more spiritual than his brother Esau, as we're going to see. But interesting dynamic. These two kids... After all these years of waiting, Isaac and Rebekah finally have kids, and their personalities are radically different. And here we go into this final little push here, this final story, verse 29. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. Now, again, notice how their qualities kind kind of come out here in the story. Jacob, inside the house, cooking stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me that, I, the, that red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. The Edomites come from him. We'll see that in the future. But Jacob said, okay, I'll give you some of my really good red stew if you'll sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Here's the con man. Here's the schemer, Jacob. Sell me your birthright. As of this day, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Now, he really wasn't going to die, right? I mean, think about it. He'd just been out all day hunting, and he I'm, I'm about to die. So what is a birthright to me anyway? Wow. Willing to throw away the blessings of God. Not spiritual at all. That's, that's the point the Scripture is making here. Verse 33, then Jacob said, swear to me this day. And so Esau did. He swore and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils. And Esau, "Ah," he eats and drank and he rose and he went his way. He's satisfied. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He hated it. He, He wasn't interested in spiritual things. He wasn't interested in the, the birthright, the blessings that were coming his way, all the blessings that his parents had told him about, all the blessings of his grandpa, the stories, the stories they would have told. He wasn't interested in that. He wasn't spiritual at all. He's a man of the world. All he thinks about is himself. I want f- I want food, and I want it now. I, I get that way sometimes. i got to admit it. I'll work a, a long day, and I, I come home, and, you know, Esther and the kids. I remember the Esther and the kids. Oh, daddy, daddy, daddy's home. This was years ago. Daddy's home, daddy's home. And it's like, what are we having to eat, honey? Esther, what's for dinner? You know, that's a, a lot of guys. We're like that, aren't we? We, we want to satisfy our, our hunger. This, this guy is so worldly that all he can think about is himself. I'm hungry. I'm about to die. I could care less about the, the birthright. Give me that stew. That's what he does there. He, Jacob sneaky, conniving, tricky. He tricks his brother. Just because he's hungry, he tricks him out of his, his birthright. Esau, he isn't interested in an eternal blessing, a forever covenant. He could care less about spiritual thing. All he wants is something to eat. That's why it says at the end of verse 34, Esau despised his birthright. He wasn't spiritual. Jacob, on the other hand, was spiritual. But he still did this conniving twisted thing here and I I believe that he's not trusting the Lord now Jacob is the one that's not trusting the Lord God's gonna sovereignly do what he does but Jacob does this little thing you know he he doesn't wait on the Lord Esau saw no value in spiritual things at all his birthright all the God's blessing he just traded it away for food here's what the writer of the Hebrews says about this here's another great proof text here Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was, notice this, rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He finally realized that he had blown it. He represents your neighbor that's turned away from God, your relative you shared Jesus with, that that keeps... Denying, denying and saying, I don't want Christ. That's, that's who Esau represents here. Jacob, on the other hand, is, is a faithful man. And it's really interesting. As I read this story, it just sounds like people that reject Christ today. There's going to be a day that they really, they're going to weep and they're going to they're hurt. They're going to understand what they, because they won't be able to repent anymore. There's going to be a day when they die and they leave this planet and they don't go to heaven. That's what the scripture tells us that when they reject God. And so we see that here in Esau. He's rejected God. He's rejected his birthright all over a quick meal. Donald Barnhouse, here's a real quick quote from one of my favorite commentators. He says, men spend more time shaving than on their souls, and women give more minutes to their makeup than to eternal things. I like that. We need to really consider spiritual things Jacob was a spiritual man. He believed God. He wanted that birthright. His mom helped him get it. She was probably telling him the whole time, Jacob, Jacob wasn't, you know, he, he was a lot like his grandpa. He's impatient. Esau, on the other hand, sold his birthright. He despised his birthright. So here's my application in just the few minutes that we have here. What about your birthright? You have put, given your. Heart to Jesus Christ. God has saved you based on your faith. You put your faith in Christ, and you've been saved. You have a birthright. You have salvation. And God guarantees, this is an interesting thing, God, or important thing, God guarantees that you'll get to heaven. He guarantees that, your future birthright. Let me show you that really quick, and then we'll end. Ephesians 1 13. In Christ or in him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having noticed this word, believed, if you read Ephesians 1, you'll see God's sovereign election. And you'll also see, you gotta believe. I love that about the scriptures. He says, Having believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of your what? Inheritance. What's your inheritance? It's heaven. When you come and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed, because the Holy Spirit does this work, you are guaranteed eternal life, this this wonderful, until the redemption of purchased possession, the praise of the glory. Ephesians 1, 13. That's an amazing promise. You're guaranteed heaven. You're guaranteed inheritance. Listen, don't, don't throw your birthright around. Look forward to that inheritance. Live for Jesus now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't Do anything but pray and trust and wait on the Lord. Let's be people of faith. God has taught us much as we've studied this man, Abraham. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I I just thank you for its truth. And we ask, God, that you would help us that are born again, that are saved because we believe in Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand that we have a great inheritance that we've been sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit, this guarantee of the promise. And we have that. What a beautiful truth that is. And I, I just ask God that as, as we think about that over the next couple of days, uh, as you remind the believers here tonight, your word, as they read this text again, maybe to get gr- greater understanding, that they would understand how important it is, their inheritance. It's all been secured for them in Christ. And we have the guarantee, the the Holy Spirit. We've We've been branded with ownership. We're owned by God. We have this guaranteed inheritance in heaven. Lord, bless now your people. Encourage them as they go from here. Give them grace, Lord, in those times that they struggle. Mercy when they make mistakes. Thank you, Father, for the mercy and grace you bestow upon us. And may we be a faithful people like Abraham and Jesus we pray. Amen.